Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Like, we don't need the four-year-old to run the threshing machine anymore. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You're going to stay home with me and we're going to watch Frozen again. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. All right, little rebel, you go do your cursing. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. We had Sears Dragon shirts. everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we're talking about when the world moves too fast for our kids. I love this topic because we were talking about it in a young kid sense. And I said, wait a minute, this is an older kid sense. Like this applies across ages and stages, our very favorite. Yes. I recently had this conversation when Halloween happened. And it's a very interesting marker, I feel like, where your kid is on the scale. I could see in my older kids this sort of, we're too old for trick-or-treating and like it's not cool to trick-or-treat anymore. The big kids are going to parties or throwing eggs at people's houses and being mischievous. I still really want to trick-or-treat because it's fun, but I want to be cool, so I want to let it go. And I feel like you can see the 14-year-old who will be not sure if they want to trick-or-treat or not and not quite ready to do the thing next may well be the same kid who was the three-year-old who had a really hard time getting dressed in the morning and getting out to preschool who really wanted to play for a while in their pajamas first. That's where I'm coming in, that there are some people for whom the world moves a little more quickly than their basic speed, which is not incorrect, is maybe a little different than that of the world around them. Yes, this is often referred to as immaturity is kind of the category I think this falls into. Yeah, I think it's more than that, but that it can manifest itself as social immaturity. I mean, there's things like slow processing speed, which I wanted to talk about. Then it can come out as like, I'm not quite ready to do what everybody thinks I'm supposed to be ready to be doing in large and small ways and good and bad ways. And it dovetails with any kind of developmental challenge, such as ADD, ADHD, autism, any kind of processing difference, anxiety, the readiness to be on the fast track is harder for some kids. I was a kid who was a 16-year-old trick-or-treater. I was late to believe in many things that people kept telling me in my elementary school and beyond were not correct anymore. I was a very, very young 
kid. I didn't date in high school. We were talking with the Halloween folks. We now just sort of gather and the kids go their separate ways. People were tracking their kids in a different way. They used to track them to be like, are they nearby and safe? And now they track them. Whose house are they at? And do I know whose house that is? And then I know that a grown up is home. And a lot of the parents were saying, oh, yeah, guy was drinking and going to parties. Seventh, eighth, ninth grade. That seemed bizarre to me. I got to do a shout out to Jess Leahy, who wrote The Addiction Inoculation. If you haven't read that book, read it because it's important. There is no world in which 13 and 14 year olds should be consuming alcohol. It's not good for their brains, which doesn't mean that some aren't going to be doing it. And that way, it's like, great, fantastic if you have the 14 year old who isn't vaping and their friends are. Although it does mean that they can be left behind if they're not ready to date, if they still want to talk about Pokemon. So it's not always bad, but it is hard on them. Let's start with this in littler kids. Studies basically show this is very marked for little kids because there's so many developmental milestones that are very clear. Anson Koshi, MD, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the McGovern Medical School, says and points out there can be an entire year between oldest and youngest kids in a classroom. Developmentally, there may be a big gap between these groups. Younger kids may have a harder time paying attention, sitting still, especially compared to their peers. I have a kid who is more than a calendar year younger than most of the kids in his class. It was quite noticeable in elementary school and it continues to be noticeable, I think. I had the kid who was the youngest in his class and then we did hold him back and he became the oldest in his class and it was marked to me how he moved differently among his peers as the oldest and the youngest without having any explicit understanding or knowledge of that. You know what I'm saying? Nor did the other kids. They didn't care. They didn't even know. But there just was something about all of a sudden when he was the oldest, like what my kid thought was fun to play with was what they were going to play with, right? And the year earlier, he had played by himself because he was cowed by the kids in the block corner or whatever it was. And that's all it took was giving him another year in that situation. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a kid who really doesn't like to get ready for school, who really can't do as much homework as being asked of them, who really doesn't want to go to the dance because they don't, they have the social anxiety and they don't know how to ask somebody. Like this is the kind of thing that will repeat And it isn't bad. It's just it's a little heartbreaking to have a kid who isn't ready for what the world is asking of them. I mean, it was hard for you, right? When that kid was younger. Yes, it was hard. And it was, you know, you never want to feel like your kid is struggling. But I definitely come out team kind of keep them young. Like I'm always happy for my kid to be running a little bit behind versus ahead. But it is hard, I think, in the younger years when they're struggling with like peers and you're having those conversations. Well, I'm not sure like the Woody from Toy Story costume is what you want to go as in fourth grade. Do you protect? And I think for all ages and stages, we're going to talk about what is your role in this? Should you try to make them something that they're not? Should you try to be like, actually, the kids are now dressing as like scary monsters and or cool Roblox characters? They're over Toy Story. So you should leave that behind, you know? Yeah. Or I have the perfect example for older kids. Remember the super, super bright neon colored socks that were in like two or three years ago? The Nike, you had to get them these like $15 socks. That's all they wanted for Christmas were these socks in these like traffic cone colors. Well, now, you know, 
you only wear those if you care nothing about your social standing and what will become of you in life, right? Only the most indifferent child wears those. And, you know, so a friend of mine was just telling me a story about having to like sneak in and take those out of her kid's door because her kid would happily wear those because he hasn't gotten the memo that like, that's totally uncool. Don't wear those socks anymore. P.S. Maybe you live in Ohio and those are like totally, those are super cool. I don't know. It's like, it's completely arbitrary and nonsensical. I don't mean that you should care about the socks. I just mean that your kid can miss the memo. And then, yeah, are you supposed to correct and sneak those socks out of the door for them? I think in the little ways you are and in the big ways you're not. It's so hard. My parents were completely against any form of fitting in by wearing what was cool to the point where they kind of forbade us from having at Oldie Lux Alert Jordache jeans back in my day, which were the cool jeans when we were kids. Yep. Or gold digger jeans. Those were the ones I really wanted. They had a, the zipper had a little gold bar on it to open and close your back pockets. <sighs> I didn't have those either. My mother wouldn't buy us alligator shirts, you know, Lacoste alligator shirts. We had Sears dragon shirts. They had a dragon on them. It was, and my husband, we were just talking about this. He's like, well, of course you get the alligator shirt. You have to get your kid the alligator shirt, even if you have to scrimp and save, lest they suffer. I'm like, not in my house. We were the Sears dragon. We were just talking about this. And my husband and Amy's husband were talking about how there was some off-brand, like it was a night jousting. And that was like the off-brand alligator shirt, which was probably worse than no shirt at all. Yes. Like you either go alligator shirt or you're like, I'm not conforming with the alligator shirt, but to show up in the knight's honor or whatever. All right. So I think I'm, I'm understanding now this sort of the fact that it differentiates these two things. If your kid doesn't care what's on their shirt to be like, no, you have to get this shirt because this is cool now. And to be like over engineering that is silly. On the other hand, if your kid does care for you to be pulling back on the reins, like we're not like other people. You go as Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Halloween, not a Pokemon. Right. Then that's you involving yourself and where they fit in relative to their peers and their maturity, which is probably not helpful. Yeah. And I think for, I was three and three years, my brother and sister and I were always one year apart in school. So the three of us were there together. My younger sister went by herself. And I think my parents had a little bit more of an awakening of like, oh, she is a social outcast because she will not wear any of the cool clothes because we won't buy them for her because <laughs> she has none. <laughs> and then, of course, by the time we were like, maybe we should just get her the Benetton rugby shirt that like literally every kid's wears as the uniform. The horse was out of the bar. Like at that point, it's too late to show up in the Benetton rugby shirt. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely had conversations with my mom around like whether or not participating in this was like good or bad. And I do think in thinking about this episode and preparing for it, you know, my word of the year is morally neutral. If maturity versus immaturity, fast or slow, if they are morally neutral, if you have a kid who moves at any pace, is there anything good or bad about those things? And I think for younger kids, the answer is there are behaviors that are disruptive to their education and their social life, like them having a successful social life. Mm -hmm. Things like impulsive behavior, needing a tremendous amount of attention. This can manifest in inappropriate behavior, bullying, a desire for positive attention that results in negative behavior, hyperactive behavior, acting out. The pace your kid moves at is sort of a, it's not a variable. It's a constant. Yes, yes. But that if you're noticing in your young kid that they are super, super immature, that is something to work with them on. As my mother would say, there's only one thing you can change, which is behavior. You can't change their maturity set point, really. You can't be like, grow up, act your age, doesn't work. But you can practice things like emotional regulation, turn-taking, manners, 
taking their own timeouts, you know, resetting. I have a kid who has a low frustration point and he will often say, I'm going to go up to my room for a little while. He knows that he has to like take time away because he knows he's going to lose it. And sometimes we have a ton of families. So we'll have like Sunday night, 14 people are coming up and he's like, I'm just going to go to my room and do Legos for a while. And then I'll come and join. Like he's gotten a lot better about regulating his exposure to things that he knows overwhelms him. I have a really good tip if you have a kid for whom the world moves too fast and they're young, although not so young. I mean, it really has worked for me throughout my parenting journey in this particular case, and that's to cut a transition wherever you can. Like if your kid has to go to soccer practice and then their friend's birthday party after that, don't stop home in between. Bring the birthday present to soccer. If you have to go to, you know, church and then soccer practice, have your stuff for soccer practice, they can change in the car. The fewer ins and outs of different houses, the fewer times you have to get in and out of the car, like batch your errands, anything you can do to make this kid who has a hard time transitioning, at least that's how it manifested in, in my kid's case, just took them forever to get out the door. And then in school, when it was music was over, they didn't want to line up for art. When art was over, they didn't want to line up for recess. They were still doing art. All through the day, the kid being forced to transition into something that they didn't want next before they were ready. So at home, I just tried to have fewer transitions, fewer activities, fewer places to go. And my sister-in-law, who specializes in early childhood education, pointed this out to me. It was really helpful for my kid, who also struggles in this exact same way, that adults don't live this way. Humans are not planned this way. So you're not, Amy, like at home reading a novel that you're enjoying and someone slaps it out of your hand and they're like, nope, Amy, it's puzzle time now. You know, that's not how we function, but it is how school functions. And so understanding what might trigger some of the tough behavior and then really recognizing it and talking to them. You have a lot of trouble with transitions. You have a shorter fuse than some kids, but you're a tremendously good artist, you know, like really helping them not define it as like, stop acting like a baby. You're so immature. Why can't you be like other kids? Right. Go faster like the rest of us. Yeah. They can't be like other kids. They would be like other kids if they could. And then another tip that I really liked, and I've tried really hard with my kids, pressing autonomy. And as my kids have gotten older, I have a kid who's kind of regressing on the like, I don't want to go to school. And so I'm going to drag around in the mornings. I've gone as much as possible to the car leaves at this time. And if you're not in it, you can explain to your teachers why you're late. And I've told the school, if he's late, give him detention. It's your choice whether or not to get to school in time versus I will yell at you 500 times about your socks in the morning and therefore you won't get detention. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about slightly older kids, Amy. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th Nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro aunt at this <laughs> yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. 
into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. More and more you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. I think that what we're getting at is that our job as parents of kids for whom the world moves a little too quickly in ways large and small is that there's a tension that we have to walk between helping them feel good about who they are and making the world a little easier for them and helping them catch up to the world that wants them to move faster. I think sometimes we have to do each and I feel bad when I fall too hard on the side of, but you do have to do all this stuff and who cares and let's go. You sign up for Boy Scouts and now you're doing Boy Scouts. It's hard to know when to keep doing that and when to let your kid be who they are. It's easier when they're 15 and they're resisting vaping. It's harder when they're five and and they don't want to go to the birthday party because they're a little nervous about you leaving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Although I would argue that even that exists on that same continuum. They don't want to go to the big kid party because they're not sure what's happening there and what their role in that is. Like I think, as you said at the beginning, it's the same line that is happening. And there's a part of you that wants them to go to the high school party, maybe not drink or vape or whatever, but you want them to be with their peers and have a social life and know how to handle that. You don't want them to stay home. It's very hard to know how much to let your kid embrace who they are and push them. I don't think it's the right answer to do one or the other, obviously, but how to discern in in any moment, which they need from you more. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I saw it so clearly on this whole Halloween outing with kids who are older. Okay, like you're probably too old to trick or treat, but it seems like the only other thing to do is go out and get in trouble and be really a jerk, you know, and egg someone's house. I definitely sat down with my kids beforehand and said, here's what's expected and here's what is not okay. And I get that you're going to be the nerdier kid. You know, I have this with my older kids sometimes where they're like, I just feel like I'm always the buzzkill. And I I just kind of come out at, yeah, I get that. But that's kind of what we expect from you. You might always have to be the kid that when the egg throwing starts, you leave. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, am I stunting their growth somehow? Do you learn more by getting in trouble and doing naughty things? Maybe. It just came to my mind that Gypsy Rose Blanchard, what was it called? It was an HBO. Oh, Mommy Dead and Dearest. I cannot wait to see how you're going to tie that in. Mommy Dead and Dearest. It just makes me think of like, no, don't doing egg houses. Like, you're going to stay home with me and 
we're going to watch Frozen again. Right? With mommy. And make right. popcorn. Well, it's uh, Mother Boy from uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> like the mom and the grown son are always going to this dance called Mother Boy. And they dress in their matching outfits. And the siblings are like, you have to stop this, you know? Right. You don't want to do that either. That's right. You don't really want to raise like mama's boys. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't really want my kids egging other people's houses, Amy. Is that wrong? Sometimes I think there might be some more specific coaching. So I mentioned before about slow processing speed, and that can be something that manifests in kids with ADHD and different things where they actually have a little bit of a hard time keeping up with the pace of conversation. This can, you know, manifest like in the classroom in third grade, like the teacher said, everybody get out your notebooks and they're thinking about Star Wars and they didn't get out their notebook. And then in high school in this sort of cafeteria chaos, like I can't quite follow the stream of conversation here. It's moving a little too quickly for me because the world moves a little too quickly for me. And so I'm just going to kind of sit here and not participate because this makes me feel anxious. Now, you can't be your kid's social anxiety coach, that perhaps that's not a role that you want to play that won't work well for mom to be the social anxiety coach. But it is something you can definitely become more well-informed about, get coaching if that's available to you, and help them with that because it sometimes really is, it's an anxiety thing that you can help them with, but first they have to recognize, yeah, I'm somebody for whom the world moves a little too quickly, which is a delicate topic to bring up. Yeah. And I think that's right, that acknowledging it as what it is like, hey, you are younger than the other kids in your grade. Things are moving faster. Kids are doing stuff that you're maybe not ready for. That's okay. You can spend two more years trick or treating past when other kids think it's cool. It's fine. It really comes down to helping them build like a self-esteem and a self-confidence. They don't think of themselves as bad or behind or lame or weird, you're trying to help them reframe that as like, you're at a different place than other kids. And that's fine. Kids mature at different ages. Right. And on the other end of the spectrum, this was interesting, an article from psychcentral.com talking about what we talk about as growing up too fast is often equated with kids who have to take care of themselves, kids who are not well taken care of, kids who feel like they always have to be strong, can't ask for help. We're talking about parents who are trying to help direct how this comes out. Or even benign neglect, like Harriet the Spy. Her parents were just out every night and she was... Doing her own thing. Yeah. I have a kid who is extremely mature and gets on their bike on Saturday mornings and rides around the town and is starting a business of selling baked goods and goes down to the bookstore where her friend runs the bookstore and they did it. Mm -hmm. That's just how she's wired, you know, and she's much younger than her three-year-old or sibling who's not doing those things. It's just some of this is set point. Where do I actually have any control in this situation? That's what's hard, right? I did at some point went into town and introduced myself to a bunch of people where I know she stops. And I said, I'm her parent. If she's doesn't belong here because she's too young, if she's bothering you, like, here's my number. And they're, oh, no, she's fine. She loves to come in and do her thing. But it's also like doing that in a safe way. That's one thing. It's different than being on my phone Halloween night and thinking like, where is this kid? And is he somewhere that I don't know? And I don't know what's going on. Now, is that going to be the same in senior year? Maybe I'm going to say, all right, go and be where you want. I guess I won't know where you are, and it'll be up to you to navigate those situations. I mean, it's different than it used to be. We have some research here about this, that 
teenagers, this is according to CBS News, high school kids today are less likely to be drinking or sexually active versus their counterparts in the 80s and 90s. But they are also less likely to go on dates, have a part-time job, or drive the sort of more positive traditional milestones on the path to adulthood. I think that's true. My kids live in New York City, so that's a particularly specific combination of ahead of and behind peers in places that don't have public transportation. But it's true. I think that we, your kid might have less catching up to do by senior year than you might think. We know so much more now. A friend of mine was telling me this story about going to a college party. She was 12, I think, and getting really drunk at a college party at 12. I mean, my mind goes to all the places. This was maybe in the 80s, 90s. Those conversations were not being had. And the idea of a 12-year-old getting drunk at a party. I, I don't, in what world? I don't want that happening. That's out, no. It was just Harriet the Spy, like a little older, right? That's what Harriet was, the Spy was doing by ninth grade. And I do think that we're so aware of the dangers of drinking and driving and drinking and being around older people and the many things that go terribly wrong in those situations. But then, yes, I don't want to become flowers in the attic where I'm like, okay, you're locked in. We're going to mother boy. That is your only social life. Mm -hmm. But it is hard to find that balance. And as that article says, the upside of slower development is that teens aren't growing up before they're ready. That's 12 year old at the big kids party. But the downside is they go to college and into the workplace without as much experience with independence. I have the perfect story for this. Go to drop-off day at college for my oldest child. Roommate from another country, from outside the United States, extremely worldly, extremely polite, very mature young person who watched me make my child's bed. Yes, I'm overdoing it. Yes, it's my final goodbye to my kid. And I'm going to make his bed before I leave him there for two months, right? <laughs> make sure everything's in order. And this kid said so politely, excuse me, ma'am, if you don't mind, could you show me how to do that? He had gotten to college without knowing how to put a fitted sheet on a bed. Mm -hmm. And this is a kid who was so extremely achieving in other ways, but didn't know how to put a fitted sheet on a bed, which is not just good or bad. It's just they have weird pockets of maturity and immaturity compared to what we had. Like, don't know how to make a bed, right? Like, I was babysitting for free when I was eight years old. Like, I knew how to make a bed. I knew how to load a dishwasher. These kids, I mean, including myself in this, they don't know how to drive. They don't have part-time jobs. Like, we've coddled them a little bit because the road to higher education is so difficult and they have to be in their travel sport and they have to have ADAP classes, so they can't possibly also have a paper route. Right, we could track them on their phones. We know where they are every second of the day. And so they do get to college a little bit less mature, which I guess is sort of arguing against the idea that the world moves too fast for them. Like, I made his bed for him. He was totally nice about it. And now he knows how to make a bed. I just mean, like, it's interesting. It's interesting how these kids are less mature in some ways than we were, and in some ways much more. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. All right, let's take a break and we'll be back and we'll figure it all out, people. Don't worry, we're going to solve it. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. And now, when the world moves too fast for moms. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Can you add me to your WhatsApp chat? No, you cannot. I have no idea what that is. Why are they playing Madonna on the oldie station? Please stop calling me bruh. I am your mother. No, I don't understand why you need a YouTube channel, mister, because you're six. Ugh, I'm not ready for Be Real. I'm still trying to figure out Snapchat. Who is Logan Paul? And why do you need his energy drink? Kids, check it out. I think I finally mastered the Hit Your Rolly TikTok dance. What do you mean we're not doing that one anymore? How could it be November? What happened to September and October? This has been When the World Moves Too Fast for Moms. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right, Amy, so you said before we took a break, and BBC would like to agree with exactly what you said. <laughs> Basic stages in children's development aren't changing, says Shelley Paznick, Senior Vice President and Director of the Center for Children and Technology. The external world is constantly shifting, but children's cognitive and emotional milestones stay the same. Okay. So there are traditional markers. I mean, I think that what all they're saying is that the kids aren't changing, but our expectations of them change. You'll constantly see like online videos and it's like a three-year-old with an open flame, like making rice for his sister somewhere, you know, the idea that like, oh, everywhere else children are developed and mature. But there are some basic fundamental realities that 
teenagers' brains are not fully developed. They are still no. doing race car brain with no brakes. That kid who may be boating around at 13 is still like revving the engine to show off for girls and like going too fast and making bad choices. Yeah. And it's a little bit complicated to say that that teen's experience is better or more correct than your teen's experience because they don't have, you know, four hours of homework and seventh grade or whatever. Like That's the most clear example I can think of of uh, changing expectations. Our kids may be socially younger, but kindergarten's the new first grade. First grade's the new third grade, right? My kid got to college, my oldest kid again, and found college extremely easy compared to high school. And I thought, in a way, that's good. In a way, why are we doing that, right? Do we need to make high school so hard that college is easy? I'm not sure that that was really such an important goal. Yeah, like what's going on there? That doesn't seem quite right. No, it doesn't seem quite right. I think the crux of what you're saying from that same BBC article is today in an age of low birth rates and high life expectancies, children tend to be closer to their parents and grow up in a safer environment and thus can mature more slowly. This means they aren't pushed towards independence in the same way children growing up in a fast maturation environment, what previous generations experienced might be, right? That's true. Like, we don't need the four-year-old to run the threshing machine anymore. That's right. And, and that your four-year-old could not be dropped into that situation and function. Like, of course he couldn't because he hasn't spent every minute of his life in that situation, nor have you. But I do think the takeaway is that we all want, like, if you poll parents, what are the number one thing they want is safety and happiness for their children, right? That's what parents want. Mm -hmm. But I think our conversation today is really eliciting that there are some downsides to that safety and cocoon. You don't want the safety and cocoon to lead to mother boy. You want it to lead to like a bird who's ready to fly at some point. Yes. Understanding the risks. My sister-in-law tells a story all the time about climbing a tree when she was a kid and it was probably maybe 20 feet off the ground, really high enough to do herself some damage. And there was another tree and it wasn't attached. So there was one point where she had to like leave contact with tree number one and jump to tree number two, 20 feet off the ground. It's such a memory for her of like doing it and accomplishing it. And I just hear that story now as a mom and I'm like, oh my God, I hope my kids are not climbing trees where they have. But the point of the story is there is a resilience that you come to. And this always, as you know, it is a thorn in my side, the idea of like, well, grit is what kids really need. Because I know a lot of people who grew up with a tremendous amount of grit and did not have great outcomes because their grit came from too much trauma, you know? And so grit is sort of like the thing that wealthy and stable parents want to import to their kids. But kids who actually have grit need money and supportive parents. You know, it's not like grit is a box. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Inside is grit because it's hard to manufacture grit when you grow up. I was just laughing with a friend about this. When I went to college, I was like, I'm out of here, you small-minded losers. I can't wait to be free of your constricts and constructs. And by the way, please pay for my college, the man, you know? <laughs> the man, yeah. And so many of my friends' kids, they're like, I'll just stay at home. They don't want to go. They're really happy at home, you know? There's good and bad. It's that balance. On the one hand, I think it's great that at 18, I was ready to say, like, I'm ready to throw off the shackles of this place and go be my own self. Go eat in a dining hall, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that you pay for. Please re-up my account because I want a slice of pizza. Yeah, exactly. Rebel without a cause. So this is the crux of where it lives. Like we want safety and happiness, but without any challenges, we're in mother boy. So like, where do we find that balance? 
you know, it's the thing we talk about so often in our question of the week episodes, like my 15 month old throws food on the floor every day. How do I get him to stop? And sort of inherent in that when you're in it is the idea that like, I need to fix this or else I'll have an 18 year old who throws food on the floor. And so often the answer is like, that's what 15 month olds do. And they probably won't be doing it by the time they're three. And here's how you can gently redirect in the meantime, right? It isn't something you need to stop and fix. It's something you need to support while they're learning new skills. And maybe the 15 year old is a little shy about going to the party who doesn't want to go to the dance or doesn't want to go to the prom or whatever. There can be pain in that for us, I think, because we're recognizing ourselves in that and we don't want our kids to struggle, but we don't want to be the struggle by forcing them to do things they're not ready to do. And I'm not sure that's always our job, right? Like they'll get there. They'll leave the house. They will meet people with or without us pushing them to do so. I think where I come out is that I need to be a little bit the thing that my kids are struggling against because I'm already finding my teenagers. You're no fun. Why are our rules like this? No one else has these rules. Fine. Let me be the enemy. I believe, uh, and I'm early in this, and listen, get back to me in two years, three years. I am team everything can wait, basically. I like to keep it slow. The situations that involve kids being out together, getting up to shenanigans, I think those are really, really difficult situations for young kids. I remember them being difficult for the very few times I participated in them myself. My mom always said, like, keep the boundaries tight so that the kids always feel like they're going outside of them. We don't allow cursing, for example, in my house, like none of my kids curse. But I'll hear my son playing games with a friend down in the game room as I pass by with the laundry and his door is closed and he's cursing with his friends. I don't open the door and say, you, there's no cursing in this house. It's like, okay, all right, little rebel, you go do your cursing thing. Yeah, yeah. Tough guy. Yeah. He feels very like mature to be outside of the lines, but it's not, I'm still good with it. Keep the lines tighter than you want them to be because the kids will go outside the lines. Now, at the same time, they can't be so tight that the kid just blows up the lines. It's a constant readjustment and a balance. One of the things that helped me and what we were talking about today is really knowing your kid's starting point. Okay, this is a kid who is young for his grade. This is a kid who has some processing things, sensory things that make him even younger for his grade and therefore maybe encourage relationships and activities that suit a more, a less mature kid and view maturity a little bit more agnostically, like view maturity as morally neutral, you know, that being immature is not something to be corrected necessarily. There is a, an age where this starts to shift. I'm thinking about like a super silly and can't sit down and always yelling stuff out in class. First grader in terms of peers might have a different experience in terms of peers than a fourth or fifth grader who's still doing that. There's immaturity that's mostly a pain in the tush for the adults surrounding. And then there's an age at which it becomes like, stop, that the peers start saying that, that it starts to be something that the peers are like, I'm annoyed by your immaturity. That's when it gets tricky. That's when you maybe do have to help your kid course correct a little bit. But even then, right, then you let that kid come home and you let the 13-year-old get out the American Girl dolls if that's what she wants to do because the world does move a little too fast for them and they need to have a safe space at home where they can 
play with their stuffed animals. So that's what they want to do, right? And not be so cool all the time. I think that's a really good point. Your house can be a safe space for kids, realizing that they may have to put on a little bit of a mask to function on the other points of the day that you're going to be dealing with after school restraint collapse where like the mask comes off. I was just having a conversation with a group of parents about whether or not our boys were still crying. It's interesting, you know, that like some of them have stopped. Like at 4.30 p.m., just sobbing with exhaustion, you mean? Just high. Yeah. And I messed this up and everybody hates me and I missed the ball and baseball, whatever. I think the thing that you really see is that they have stopped crying in public. They have stopped crying outside of the house. And that it's a good insight into like what it takes for these kids to get through the day. Like they are putting on the mask of like, I am mature now, you know, and that it might be even more important with a young kid or an older kid to really make your house a place where like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to play with American Girl dolls. It's okay to still be excited about the costume box or whatever might seem too young for their peers. It's also okay to put on a little bit of a face to fit in in the outside world. Yeah. Help them do that and then have room for it at home. That being said, like if your kid is like killing you with the baby talk, you can <laughs> try to sublimate that, right? To give them a positive, I don't know, like a, if we don't talk like that all day, then we're going to have special movie time tonight. Just you and mommy on the couch, like Gypsy Rose and her mother watching Frozen. <laughs> and what's underneath that, right? Like that's also how you fix some of that stuff. Like what's underneath that? What's that need to talk like a baby? It's that you feel... Right. My kids were saying about Halloween, like, oh, it wasn't as fun as it usually is. And I thought, it's because you're old. Like, it's fun when you're six. Oh, that's sad. It's yeah. just wondrously fun when you're six. It's so magical. And then when you get older, you kind of realize, like, oh, I'm just putting on an outfit and people are just handing me candy and my mom could just buy me this kid. Like, it's, of course, it's less fun because you're more mature. Oh, did yes. I end on a really sad note? That's a bitter, yeah, that's a real downer to end on, but you're so right. All right, let's turn it around. We definitely solved it, but it was depressing. Listen, there's good and bad. Take the good with the bad, take the happy with the sad. There's great things about being more mature, and there's great things about being less mature. We have a listener survey, and I'm going to ask you guys, if you haven't filled that out, if you would go to bit.ly slash survey. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, too. It asks questions about, like, how old your kids are, how old you are, not your, you know, social security number or anything, like super vague information. Not your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> What's your social security number? What's your mom's maiden name? Our sponsors want to know, like, we're pretty sure we're moms listening about how old their kids are and where you live, things like that. If you could fill out that survey, it would be a huge help to us. That'd be awesome, friends. And with that... Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.